Well, this morning is the national holiday referred to as Mother's Day. And I hope you'd agree with me that mothers are an amazing gift from God. Now, first take the first mother, Eve. She set the stage for the natural activities of mothers, didn't she? And it is unfortunate that this typically takes us until we're adults to truly appreciate the importance that they are in our lives. And so I also want to recognize that holidays such as Mother's Day can be a particularly painful holiday. Maybe you are missing your mom. Perhaps she's passed away. Perhaps you're lamenting the relationship that you have with your mom or had with your mom. Perhaps you'd really like to be a mom, but can't. And this holiday is a reminder, a painful reminder of those things. But whether you're a mom or have a mom, I'd like to take a moment to reflect on what moms do. Just for a moment. What do they do? I started to think to myself, well, they care for us. They took care of our very basic needs of being born, right? Nourishment, affection, who doesn't just love holding a baby? Warmth and shelter. And again, that reminds me of the scripture where Jesus talks about bringing in Jerusalem like a mother hen brings in her chicks. And in some interesting kind of role reversal, we, later on in our life, start to take care of our moms. It's beyond just buying flowers and cards for her. We stay connected so they're not lonely. Maybe we sit and chat. Maybe we give a phone call. Help to do things around their homes that need to be done. Go with them to appointments. And if need be, at some point in their life, some families move mom in with them. And I'm sure there are many other things that one can do to care for their mother. Praying with them and for mom is probably the top on the list. I mean, the Bible gives a couple examples, just for the starters here, of caring for mom. Jesus, of course, on the cross, makes makes sure that his mom is looked after, taken care of, by giving that responsibility over to one of his disciples. In the midst of his suffering, he's thinking of his mother. You know what? You two take care of one another, your family now. Another New Testament mom story is when Simon Peter's mother-in-law was healed by Jesus. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. So for this unnamed mother-in-law, by the way, of Peter, she starts the cycle all over again. Out of her wellness and gratefulness of restored health, she begins to care for others and begins meeting their needs. Well, if that example isn't reason enough to celebrate and appreciate moms, I don't know what is. While the original intent was not consumerism, uh, pumping up sales of flowers, cards, and candy gifts for mom, it did turn into it here in the United States over time. But at the heart of the U.S. Mother's Day was a day to recognize as a nation 
the contributions that mothers make and for people to show their appreciation for their mom in some way. Being appreciated is nice. However, the day in and day out of parenthood can really wear on a mom. And some of what I have to say here doesn't just apply to moms, but for the sake of the day, we will focus on them. The worries, stressors, and concerns can make one wonder about this calling of motherhood. Concerns like this. What if he doesn't turn out the way that I raised him? Will my husband love me more if I have more children? Or maybe one of the hardest questions. What if I can never have children? What is my worth then? Today, I want to look at three women whose stories address these questions. Let's begin with a story that you and I may be very familiar with, but perhaps never looked at it from the angle of the mom in the story. And it comes from Judges chapter 13. And this story is about someone I'm referring to as Mrs. Manoah. And no, I didn't just say Manoah or Noah wrong. Manoah. Judges 13, starting at verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I took a backwards glance at the verses, because there's judges that come before chapter 13, or else this would be chapter one, right? Start with Samson here. But I took a quick look at the judges' stories that happened before this. It's interesting that this one is pretty unique. Unless I missed one, this is the only one where we get a bit of backstory before the child, the deliverer, is born. Usually, these stories start out and the, the judge is an adult already of some sort, somebody of standing that can do something about it. This boy, yet to be born, was foretold by an angel, and then his parents were given specific instructions on how to raise him. Well, most directly, mom, or a.k.a. Manoah's wife, or Mrs. Manoah for short, was the one who received the instructions. Manoah even went so far as to pray God would send this messenger back to him so he could hear the directions firsthand. Okay, yeah, how many guys really, you know, in your life probably like, no, I want to know it firsthand. Trust the lady, she knew what she was talking about. We look at verse 13 here in 14. The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. I already told her all the instructions, dude. 14. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. So we're going to look at this story and the next two from the mother's perspective. And I want to put us in the sandals of these ladies. And this first one, Mrs. Manoah, begins barren. 
She's probably considered cursed or at the very mildest, mildest, not blessed. For blessing was directly associated with being able to have children. I'm not saying that it should be that way. It just seemed to be the common understanding. Then she's given some incredible news. She'll give birth to a son. She'll raise him a certain way. He'll always be that way before God. He will deliver her people. Not only will she get to be blessed by giving birth to a child, a son nonetheless, but her son will be a rescuer of the Israelites, a savior. (laughs) This is a big task. But as far as we know, she and her husband followed through with the directions. Little Samson was born and he was a Nazarite from birth. And he lived happily ever after doing just what God planned for him to do, right? Well, let's take a quick walk through his career as a judge. The very next verse must have skipped over his entire like, young adult life because he goes into it and he's a, he's a child and then he's, a, he's able to marry because the first thing that we hear from him after that is he starts by marrying a Philistine woman. And surprisingly, this part was from God. The scripture actually points this out, in order to set up a confrontation. And then later he ate some honey. What's the big deal? Why is it? From an animal carcass, a lion carcass nonetheless. That seems kind of gross. Samson later made a wager, lost the bet, and then paid for it by killing 30 men and looting the bodies. If I could break it down in a very, in, in a very rough way. Then the next, the next thing we hear that he did, which was drastic, he tied 300 Foxes together in pairs by their tails, attached torches to each set of tails, and let them run uh, around, burning up standing grain vineyards and olive groves of the Philistines. He was mad and he wanted revenge. He was turned in by his own people to said Philistines, and then he used a donkey, a donkey jawbone, to slay one thousand men that he was handed over to. And then, it gets even sketchier, he went to Gaza and slept with a prostitute. But in the middle of the night, when people were plotting to kill him, he gets up and he rips the doors off the city gate of Gaza and sets them up on a hill. Next, he falls in love with Delilah. Well, what's wrong with that? Then she was bought off by the Philistine rulers to discover the root of Samson's strength. She nagged him, and finally, he let her know what the answer was. He was captured, rendered sightless, and in his last act, after reconnecting with God, was to push out the supports of the grand building that he was in, killing many Philistines. How proud must his mom must have been. Mrs. Manoa must have been gushing with pride over, over little Samson of all these things. I'm not sure that I would have been. Can you imagine raising your kid devoted to God and thinking, wow, I hope my child delivers oppressed people by killing the oppressors. Wow, I hope one day my child goes and sleeps with a prostitute in Gaza. These are not the things that a mother would think and say out loud. Oh man, I hope that he grows to be a pompous, egotistical brat that toys with people for fun. I'm fairly sure that's what God had planned for him. Sorry, as a kid, you're only told a portion of the Samson story. 
and you think of him as some sort of Herculean archetype. And he very well could have been the inspiration for Hercules, but that's beside the point, you know, similar to the superheroes of, of Superman and Shazam. But as I read the whole story, I see how flawed he was, his poor choices in life, ones that I would not look to him for moral guidance or to be a role model. Well, what do you think Mrs. Manoa thought? Did Samson have an attitude only a mother could love? Was she a failure? This is the hard question that we usually ask ourselves. Was she a failure because Samson turned out the way that he did? We assume she raised him according to the word of God. But this is our first takeaway. And this, this sermon today is entitled Mother's Day Takeaways. And you can think of that as uh, eating out lunch and take, taking it away in a doggy bag or whatever. But Mother's Day Takeaways. And here's our first takeaway from Mrs. Manoa. You can do your best. You can do your best raising your children. But they have to choose their own path. You can do your best raising your own children, but they have to choose their own path. Samson wasn't given a choice to be a Nazarite dedicated to God. This was a vow personally made, usually personally made willingly, a person made willingly. And until Delilah, his hair was never cut, so we assume that the other directions were followed as far as his parents were concerned. There's this pesky thing that we in the Nazarene church believe in wholeheartedly. It's a little thing called free will, okay? And perhaps you've heard of it. In the context of Samson, his mom and dad can raise him the way God commanded, but Samson still had a choice to devote his will to God or to himself. The story of his life beginning to end is a good example of free will in action as anything else I've ever seen. God still used him in his brokenness to accomplish God's tasks, but it wasn't until Samson gave all of himself to God at the very end of his life that he devoted his will to God. The end result was the destruction of a temple of worship to a false god and all the people in it. Remember, you can do your best raising your children, but they have to choose their own path. Our next mother is, again, not one that we really focus on much in Bible studies or sermons. It's Leah. Jacob wanted to marry Leah's sister, Rachel, But the father of the bride pulled a switcheroo on the wedding day, and Jacob ended up marrying Leah instead of Rachel. He eventually gets to marry Rachel as well, but Leah's like the equivalent of getting picked last for a kickball, right? Maybe you don't even get picked at all. (laughs) We'd rather have the, the rock over there than you. Scripture states that Jacob and Leah were just fulfilling their marriage vows. There was no love from Jacob to Leah. Genesis 29:31 through 35. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to, to conceive, but Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, "It is because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will love me now." She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, And when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, 
he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. Verse 35, she conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. I love Jackie, and I know that she loves me. And I hope that you have or have had a relationship where love between you and another person was abundantly clear, not a question in your mind or your heart. I believe Leah's situation is extremely relatable to us today, though. There are times in our life, and perhaps our whole life, where we can feel unloved. When we feel unloved, we look for things in which to find our self-worth. Some look to a career, money, power, fame, praise from others, influence, and the accumulation of things. When we feel unloved, being loved is all that matters. Leah tried to get her husband to love her by having children with him, producing heirs. It wasn't until her last son, Judah, did she finally recognize her self-worth doesn't lie in her relationship with her husband, doesn't lie in the care that he can, he can give her or the children that she can bring into the world. She found her self-worth in the one who enabled her to have children in the first place, in God. And she named her final son Judah. The footnote in my Bible, and of course the context of the verse gives it away, Judah sounds like the Hebrew word for praise. For praise. So our second takeaway here, Leah teaches us to find our worth in God and not in other people or things. Find our worth in God. Children and spouse can give you great joy, but look to the Lord for unconditional affirmation. Our third mom today is Hannah. Hannah is such a nice name. Would you agree? Hannah is a nice name. In fact, it's so nice. It was ranked number 44. That doesn't sound like a lot out of a thousand of the top baby girl names in 2021. Our family has known several Hannahs. Shout outs to Hannah Pierce and Hannah Young. Their parents listen or read these messages online after the fact. Hannah was the wife in the Bible, the wife of Elkanah. And we find their story in 1 Samuel. In fact, it wasn't, if it wasn't for Hannah, we wouldn't even have a 1 or 2 Samuel. She had a story similar to Mrs. Manoah. She was barren and had no children. In a similar fashion to Leah, she had a competition to deal with. Hannah's husband, Elkanah, had another wife, Penina. She had children, and the two ladies did not have a good relationship, and her barrenness affected her relationship with her husband, as reflected in verse 8. Elkanah, her husband, would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? 
Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Why are you so upset? Can't you just be happy with me? Well, she wasn't satisfied. But in this case, in this case, she pursued the Lord and humbly requested deliverance from her misery. We jump down to verse 10. It said, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will will ever be used on his head. Maybe you've heard this expression. I've heard it before. It's two words, praying through or praying through. I gotta be honest, I don't think I've fully understood it too well. But Hannah is probably the best example I can point to of someone who prayed through. She left all of herself on the altar of prayer. She prayed so passionately that she was mistaken for being drunk. She desired the Lord's blessing and was willing to, and did follow through on giving her son back to the service of God. And God gave Hannah her request. She conceived and had a son, and his name was Samuel. Now, I want to take a pause real quick and ask you a question. Have you ever heard of an author by the name P.D. Eastman? P.D. Eastman. Maybe you're more familiar with Dr. Seuss. Have you heard of Dr. Seuss before? Well, I went searching for a book that I thought would really go well, and I'm I'm searching online, and I'm like, oh yeah, Dr. Seuss, this book titled Dr. Seuss, and then I find out, no, it's not Dr. Seuss, it's this guy named P.D. Eastman. The reason is, is that his style is very similar. In fact, P.D. Eastman was a um, protege and colleague of Seuss. Eastman wrote and illustrated his own books later on, And he had a similar style to Seuss. Short, easy sentences and memorable images. Eastman wrote a book entitled, Are You My Mother? A sweet little book, a children's book. Now, I was asking people at home, my family at home, what did I do last year's sermon? And none of them could remember until, uh, and I said, it was something about a baby doll. So you're getting another quirky little uh, thing. It's story time, okay? This book is called, Are You My Mother? A mother bird sat on her egg. The egg jumped. Oh, oh, said the mother bird, my baby will be here. He'll want to eat. The egg jumped and jumped and jumped and jumped. Out came the baby bird. Where is my mother? He said. He looked for her. He looked up, he did not see her. He looked down, he did not see her. I will go and look for her, he said. So away he went. Down, out of the tree he went. Down, down, down. It was a long way down. The baby bird could not fly. He could not fly, but he could walk. Now I will go and find my mother, he said. 
He did not know what his mother looked like. He went right by her. He did not see her. He came to a kitten. Are you my mother? He said to the kitten. The kitten looked and looked. It did not say anything. The kitten was not his mother, so he went on. Then he came to a hen. Are you my mother? He said to the hen. No, said the hen. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. So the baby bird went on. I have to find my mother, he said. But where? Where is she? Where could she be? Then he came to a dog. Are you my mother? He said to the dog. I am not your mother. I am a dog, said the dog. The kitten was not his mother. The hen was not his mother. The dog was not his mother. So the baby bird went on. Now he came to a cow. You see where this one's going, huh? Are you my mother, he said to the cow. How could I be your mother? Said the cow. I am a cow. The kitten and the hen were not his mother. The dog and the cow were not his mother. Did he have a mother? I did have a mother, said the baby bird. I know I did. I have to find her. I will, I will. Now the baby bird did not walk. He ran. Then he saw a car. Could that old thing be his mother? No, it could not. The baby bird did not stop. He ran on and on. He looked, now he looked way, way down. He saw a boat. There she is, said the baby bird. He called the boat, but the boat did not stop. The boat went on. He looked way, way up. He saw a big plane. Here I am, mother, he called out. But the plane did not stop. The plane went on. Just then, the baby bird saw a big thing. This must be his mother. There she is, he said. There is my mother. He ran right up to it. Mother, mother, here I am, he said to the big thing. But the big thing just said, snort. Oh, you are not my mother said the baby bird. You are a snort. I have to get out of here. But the baby bird could not get away. The snort went up. It went way, way up, and up and up and up went the baby bird. And now, where's the snort going? Oh, 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 what is the snort going to do with me? Get me out of here. Just then, the snort came to a stop. Turn the page correctly. There we go. Where am I? Said the baby bird. I want to go home. I want my mother. Then something happened. The snort put that baby bird right back in the tree. The baby bird was home. Just then, the mother bird came back to the tree. Do you know who I am? She said to her baby. Yes, I know, I know who you are, said the baby bird. You are not a kitten, you are not a hen, 
You are not a dog, you are not a cow, you are not a boat, or a plane, or a snort. You are a bird, and you are my mother. Thank you for indulging me in story time. <laughs> Why did I share that story today? Let's look back at Hannah one more time. Because of her heart and sacrifice, because of course she did give up Samuel to live with Eli in the temple, she had a kind of open adoption, so to speak, where her family could go and visit Samuel each year during the sacrifice time. And she made and gave him clothing and such. Not every mom who gives up their rights and responsibility to someone else gets to keep that kind of relationship. And though she promised to give her very first baby boy up to the Lord, she still got to be part of his life. Samuel, because of this, Samuel never had to worry and wonder, who is my mother? Are you my mother? Eli's like, no, I'm an old man. Leave me alone. Um, You see, the takeaway from Hannah, and there are so many here, the takeaway from Hannah is this. Praying through, then following through, is the only way to break through. Praying through and following through is the only way to break through. Hannah was downcast. She cried out in anguish. Eli spoke a word of blessing, and we'll talk about that word here in a moment. And the Lord did as, as she asked. So she did as she promised. And the result was this young Samuel ministering before the Lord. Again, Samuel didn't need to be that baby bird asking, are you my mother, to random people and objects. He got to see and know his mother. He also received the blessing of inheriting the roles of priest, and God later used him as prophet. All because Hannah prayed through, and she followed through to breakthrough. Her whole life was changed because of it. I'd like to conclude today's message by asking you the following question. What are you praying for? What are you praying for? Hannah prayed, and when Eli the priest was convinced she was actually praying and not hitting the alcohol a little too hard, he said this to her in verse 17. Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. Do you desire the things God desires for you? Are you praying for miraculous recoveries, healing from addiction, companionship, appreciation, resources, freedom, your future, peace in your heart and in the world around you? Leah and Mrs. Manoa shared this in common. God outright intervened in their stories. We don't have a record of them reaching out to him to solve their life problems. But we do have Hannah earnestly seeking God with her whole heart. Hannah making a fool of herself through tear-filled prayer. Hannah kept humble, even while asking the God of the universe to look on her with favor, to not forget her, to give her a miracle, a son. How far are you willing to go? How desperately would you pray to hear an answer from the Lord, to hear of his protection, direction, and revelation? The way is what sh- that Hannah showed us is to pray through. 
So mom, how's your prayer life? Are you going to God wholeheartedly? Son, daughter, husband, how's your prayer life? Are you going to God wholeheartedly? May we do so in keeping in line with the Lord's will and desire for our life. So it may be said to us, go in peace and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray this blessing upon us, God. We ask for it today. Show us your way. Help us to latch on to those things that you have put in our hearts and not give up on prayer to know that you're the only one that can solve any of these issues and problems in our life, that we might find ourselves worth in you and not in how our children do turn out or how much love and affection we might find from another person, but in you. And that when you put something in our heart, may we never let it go. May we pray and pray until we break through. We love you, Jesus. We pray this blessing upon us. Now may we go in peace and may the God of Israel grant for us what we have asked for him today. Amen. You're dismissed.